Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure comes about when he might have won, had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when you're hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you delightfully fleshy pumpkin. My name's Owen and you have just heard the poem... Don't Quit by John Greenleaf Whittier. Block and report us on Twitter at CopOnPodcast. Send in your nudes, malware and hate mail to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com. Support us via patreon.com forward slash CopOnPodcast or otherwise tell your granny. This is CopOn. This is for you. Enjoy. I'm extremely happy to be joined by Brian in Hong Kong, by Jamie, uh, who's also in Paris, but he's the other side of the city. He's in the northeast. I'm in the southwest. It's pretty much rivalry going on here, but uh, absolutely delighted after after a hiatus to welcome back Jamie. Um, yes, it's uh, Ajax nil, Liverpool one. We're going to start talking about that. That that was the game that was last night as we're recording this, and it we, it was food for the soul, you know, syrup. For the heart, and uh, it it was just absolutely, really um, happy, pleasing stuff. Uh, Jamie, uh, what was your reaction to that result? Oh, and 1 0 and a clean sheet away from home in Europe is always a great result. I mean, even in the pool stages, even if there's no away goals, it's a a really important thing to be able to go and do, uh, particularly against a team like Ajax. you know, no no home crowd withstanding. Um, to go and limit their chances the way we did is is really good. Um, there were some moments that were more reminiscent. I thought of early clock, uh, some end to end chaos, uh, some panic in the box. I guess uh, there's a quote which from a book I'm reading actually at the moment from an author, Colin McCann, who talks about occupying forces being the rim of a tightening lung. And I think that's how we played last season and when we've been under our best of clock, where we, we suffocate the hopes and opportunities of the opposition. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen this season. I think the lack of crowds plays a part because the Anfield crowd can really, you know, oppress other teams. And now without Virgil, who allows us to play such a high line, um, I think we're, we're going to offer up a lot more chances to other teams this year. And hopefully our great attacking side can can always score more than them. Yes, it's 
going to be really interesting. We're going to get on to sort of, you know, looking forward to, to sort of the new reality. I know, Brian, you've got a few words to say on that. But before that, Brian, I just want to talk, tell you Klopp's reaction to yesterday. It was not the most easy on the eye performance from both teams, said Jurgen Klopp, I would say. Both teams can play better football, but especially in this competition when you play away, a lot of difficulties, pretty much the medical department made the line-up, and then you have to win the game, and that's what the boys did. I think that was deserved, even when we had to clear one ball from the line and when they hit the post. Of course they had their moments, but apart from that, we were pretty dominant on a difficult pitch for both teams. I think everybody knows that Ajax is usually a brilliant football team, but tonight it was really tricky. The passing was difficult, so you could see that. But we won the game, and I'm completely fine. Brian, are you completely fine? Yeah, I I am completely fine. Um, I mean, we, we picked up all three points away from home in Europe, uh, which is always a good result, regardless of who you're playing. But to do that at, um, you know, Ajax, a team of that pedigree, got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. Um, and just the game after the game that we just had, um, after the game we just had before that, um, it's obvious we're, we're going through, um, I wouldn't say a difficult time, but definitely a tricky time at the moment. And, you know, a big part of our game, is managing the situation as as Jamie very um, accurately put it there. You know, we, we we squeeze teams to death. We do it with everything. We do it on the pitch. We do it off the pitch. Klopp does it with the, with the crowd. Klopp does it with the press box. Um, there's so much control going through Liverpool that it just overwhelms teams, and we have lost a lot of that control. Um, recently we've lost the control of the fans. We don't have that influence on games. We lost a little bit of control in the press box because they've, they've been fed um, stories in quick succession. And so the, there's blood in the waters and, and they're just looking for cracks. Um, and, uh, you know, we've lost control on the pitch because we've lost uh, Verge, who's our, you know, talisman. That word gets used too much in football sometimes, I think, but he, he truly is, um, uh, you know, the lightning rod of the team. You know, he sets the tone. And we lost um, uh, Alison Becker, who, you know, not only is the best goalkeeper in the world, but he just, he owns his territory. He owns his box. He, he command, his command of that area is just second to none. And when you take away those two commanding figures, then it's a, it's a different proposition, and and I think that the name of the game is just to find a way to win, you know, whichever way, and and be happy with that. And I think you know we wrote a look at times, but you know overall it was um, it was a really enjoyable game, and uh, I was really happy with um, you know to a man almost uh, every performance out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. The thing with Jurgen Klopp that you know we all know is that it doesn't matter what the result is if it's if it's you know one nil or if it's 
you know, 7-2 or if it's 2-0 or whatever, you know, whatever the result is, if we win, if we lose or if we draw, it's always a freaking entertaining game. And uh, there's always that. I mean, you know, you mentioned Virgil van Dijk. I'm still not over it. I'm still not over the derby. And I, I, I'm going to refuse to stop talking about it because I need to vent about this. I have enough anger to survive that will, you know, it will percolate uh, all season, this anger. And, 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 you know, it will be especially filtered on the 21st of February, which is the date burned into my mind for the return match. Uh, at Anfield against Everton. Uh, but Virgil won't be back probably for that, in, and that's in February, you know what I mean? It's it's, it's crazy that this injury is such bad luck. Um, but I, what I liked about yesterday, especially the first 30 minutes or so, was just you could see every player, and especially Jurgen Klopp on the sideline, really freaking angry and really wanting to distill every moment, every ounce of energy into a good performance and a good result, Jamie. And, you know, when you're bouncing back from losing 7-2 in a freak game and then losing 2-2 in one of the greatest travesties of justice, um, you know, losing 2-2, it felt like, um, you know, it was a lovely way to bounce back mentally. I totally agree um, in terms of the that side of of that distilled anger. I thought actually the even though he wasn't my man of the match, I thought Robbo was Andy Robertson was the personification of that anger distilled into his best performance. Maybe since the lockdown, uh, maybe since we won the league, but I really thought he was he was getting back towards you know the the roving left back that we that we love to watch. Um, What's funny though is in footballing terms, I almost don't see it as bouncing back. Um, only because the, for me, the derby was bouncing back from Villa, and we were imperious despite everything that happened. Um, and it does take a lot of courage not to let what happened to Virgil affect all the players, because I know that we're all still fucking raging. I know that you know we're we're not professional footballers, and they were so professional last night. Um, but even against Everton, without without Virgil, we were we were still fantastic, um, particularly Thiago, and you know hopefully he gets back to full fitness soon. And I think if we play like we did against Everton, I don't think there'll be many teams who can live with us. Um, but it is possible that this you know Villa, Everton, uh, VAR, all the other stuff that's been thrown at us at the beginning of the year, maybe that's the siege mentality that Klopp can build on to help us defend the title. Maybe that's the the thing we can anchor our effort to. He said, you know, at the beginning of the year, we were going to have to attack the season, not defend the title. And maybe this is what we're going to attack. This, you know, the blood in the water that Brian was talking about, the idea that maybe, you know, without Virgil, this isn't our year. Maybe City just let us, you know, City didn't play well and that's what got us over the line, which is bollocks, but maybe that's what people think. And, you know, maybe Klopp can build a mentality around this and build a siege mentality and use that anger to carry us through past the 21st of February, right the way through to May to defend the title. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally agree. And Andy Robertson, as a personification of that, um, I had that down as one of my later questions, but, but let's talk about him right away. Andy Robertson, the later question um, I put on my agenda, Brian, was Robbo, yum. Uh, what do you reckon to Andy Robertson? He's, he was just immense. 
immense, immense, immense. He he was so brave and had so much drive. And every time you got the ball, I think he must just scare the life out of defenders um, because he's so agile, he's so mobile, and he's so direct. You know, every time he gets the ball, he he, he just he sets such a pace and such a tone. Like even when his he, it, at times he looked like his legs were a little bit heavy because he was running so hard, but he still manages to find that extra yard to get to where he needs to be. Um, I mean, I, like it's it's noticeable just how immense he has been. Um, you know, it's the same way that you know Sadio Mane blossomed into this complete animal of a player. Um, uh, Robo looks like he's kicked on again um, this season, and uh, he he's just a joy to watch and to have him in the team. And as has been mentioned many times on this podcast and many other ones, he just connects with the fans. I, I think people look at him and they feel like it's one of us out there, you know, living the dream. And you you, you can't fault him. He, again, he was just sublime and and just fun so much fun to watch fun is a great word absolutely a couple of his stats from yesterday he had a 76 percent passing accuracy which is a bit lower than his usual but that's the same for everybody and as Klopp said um you know that's a lot to do with the conditions everybody apart from the genius of nature that is Jorginho Vijnaldum on 91.1% passing accuracy which is insane so Andy Robertson sort of team average passing accuracy but having said that he had five key passes which is absolutely monstrous he was tearing down the left wing and what the stats don't show you is the amount of times he was in such a great position and Sadio could have passed him the ball but Sadio decided to do something dangerous himself and you've got Sadio Mane down the left you've got Robbo down the left and as you say Brian it's absolute you know it's terrifying for the opposition so Robertson had more touches than anyone else in our team yesterday 103 touches it's great fun to watch him um, and uh, yeah he was brilliant but he's he's um, you know alongside him we got to we got to talk about Fabinho, uh, Joe Gomez. This this new partnership, uh, Jamie. I wanted to talk about one of them. Um, you know, either one. Uh, see, you know, wherever you want to go with it. What what you liked, what you didn't like. You, you know, things to improve. I thought Fabinho was sensational, but then Klopp said afterwards, he thinks he Fabinho still has a lot to learn. Basically, what what do you make of it, Fabinho and Joe Gomez? Uh, I mean. I thought Fabinho was brilliant. I thought, uh, Brian said at the top of this, there's blood in the water, and to get a clean sheet puts, you know, so much of that debate discussion to rest, and Fabinho was at the heart of so much of what was good. I mean, his tackling, even from defensive midfield, but it carried through to centre-back, is so precise. Uh, He's so adept at getting the ball away from a player. Uh, He's good in the air. where I guess Klopp probably feels he has a lot to learn is I think between Fabio Matip and Gomez, there's something in there which is we're missing a, a vocal presence, maybe a leader, um, and maybe looking at the three of them, Klopp thinks that the person whose personality could and should do that is Fabinho. Maybe he thinks he 
he's a, a leader that hasn't blossomed yet into that role and he wants him to be this this vocal presence and maybe it's nothing but in his interview i think it's the first time i've heard him speak english as well as he did which will help him in in that um which comes to a question which i think was was slightly later on in your agenda um, or i interpreted later on but it's this question of what do we do now is fabinho now a center back until either we sign someone in January or for the year, um, and we count on Hendo and Ginny to play in the six, and um, we just don't consider him as a midfielder, given that Gomez and Matip aren't going to be able to play twice a week, every week for the rest of the year, because neither of them, you know, history shows us that neither of them are fit enough to do that. And if this is the base level, Chelsea and Ajax, which are two huge games, is Fabinho's base level at centre-back, then they'll probably make mistakes. There's probably positioning things. There's probably discipline things, which someone who's played centre-back all their life will do more easily than him. But it really eases a lot of the pressure of losing Van Dijk to have someone that talented at the club who can step in at centre-back. will still have the option to bring the ball out because he's a fantastic passer. And in defence, he's, you know, what is he now, the second best centre-back in the world after Van Dijk? But I, I, like, seriously, I reckon maybe, yeah. Uh, because I've been saying this since the, the you know the start of the season, that for me he's he's the second choice centre-back. I mean, Joel Matip, I love Joel Matip. Uh, but Fabinho, for me, I mean, I think he's he's got a case to be the, the second best centre-back at, at the club after VVD. So, I mean, for me, th- talking about, you know, the question of what, what we should do going forward, for me, Fabinho is the first name on the team sheet um, in terms of as a centre-back until Virgil comes back. Apparently, he quite likes playing there, Jurgen Klopp said. And um, a couple of quotes from his post-match press conference. He said, tactically, I have to be always ready for the long balls, try to organise the team. It's not easy, but I have to emulate VVD, or sorry, Virgil van Dijk, and try to talk and be a leader. The manager says, I have to try to organise the team more, so I will try to play this role and try to do my best. Now, obviously, try is his favourite word in English because he used it something like 17 times in that short quote. Um, But, you know, apart from English lessons, he doesn't need much uh, to improve, does he, Brian? Um, No, he doesn't. And uh, I'm with you on the Fabinho centre-back train. I, I, I mean... I also spotted it early doors and he just looked like a center back to me all along <laughs> from day one. And uh, he reminds me of Vincent company. Um, you know, he plays in DM. He's got a range of passing, brilliant in the air, great tackling. He has presence, you know, he has Virgil van Dijk type presence that you can't train. You either have it or you don't. And he has it. Um, and, I mean, I think there's a little bit of managing expectations by Klopp because everybody's just kind of running away with it already. The, the, you know, the world's best, second best centre-back memes are going around after he did that goal line clearance. Um, and so uh, I think Klopp is, I mean, yeah, he obviously has a lot to learn about the position. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking what you guys have just verbalized now which is he is the number one choice center back at the moment i mean i'd much prefer to see him on the team sheet than anybody else we've got 
uh, going forward. So I think uh, until we know where we are with uh, centre-backs, yeah, I, I, I think we kind of mentally pencil him off to as a defender until further notice. And then, you know, we make do with, um, not make do, but we, we use our wealth of, of talent in the, in the centre of back, in the centre of the field um, until uh, we had a dip into the market in January or, you know, we get some good news on, on Verge. But uh, uh, he was just brilliant, brilliant last night. Unbelievable. Everything you want from a, a centre-back and a commanding performance. He was there every single time. And, um, I mean, he... he I mean, Joe should count as lucky stars that <laughs> that Fabinho is there to step in because I think we'll go on to talk about it l- later on about how we maybe have to go easy on some of the players whilst they transition through this difficult um, period. Um, but I, I thought, I thought, uh, Joe, I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but it seemed like Joe was playing deep a lot of the game. You know, he he wasn't holding line. He was playing and he was playing um, the whole Ajax side on a couple of times. He's like a couple of yards below the line. I don't know if he's been told to do that or or he just wasn't reading the line well last night. But I I think Joe is still in that process of playing himself into form. And um, you know what, a, a clean sheet is 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 really what you need to 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 um to hurry that along but uh, yeah in terms of Fabinho I I just want to see him at the center of defense for as much as possible until uh, till we know where we are excellent would you agree with that Jamie I just wanted to come in on one point and I think it's to do with how deep Gomez was playing and I wonder if it's not tactical because neither Fabinho or Gomez are as quick as Van Dijk and we've played such a high line, I think, because of Van Dyke's recovery pace. And I think we may have to drop that line back a couple of a couple of meters because we have to compensate for that loss of pace somehow. We've conceded a few goals already this year with teams getting in behind, and I think that may we may be looking at a solution to that problem. Yeah, I I, I hear you, but I mean, my it kind of infuriated me quite a few times because. If I was uh, an attacker and I saw a centre-back just like two yards off, it just gives me so much space and so much options. Um, you know, there was a couple of times when the Ajax uh, attack, there was almost like four of them on our shoulders of our defenders and Joe was like two yards back. And so, and the ball wasn't at, the ball wasn't, the ball was still in the, mid, the middle of the park for Ajax and their, their attackers were on the last shoulder of our defenders with the exception of Joe who was playing deeper and it happened about three or four times and I just thought, you know, any ball from the middle of the park, any angled ball anywhere over the shoulder, anywhere and that, you know, we're, we're in so much, so much trouble. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, you're probably right, you know, we, we probably do need to drop back but if we're going to drop back, I think both both of them need to drop back. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw it as well, Brian. I saw that the, you know the line was definitely wonky, and there was, um, you know, there were actually a few moments in the first half, especially if you are to watch, if anyone is to watch this game back, where, um, also when Ajax had the ball on the right, um, our line was wonky, 
and they had two or three players against Trent uh, on the left, and a, any kind of deep cross would have, you know, resulted in a massive overload at the back post and could well have led to a goal. But they didn't notice it. But this is something that I've noticed in the past couple of weeks, actually, that I've been meaning to talk about. I haven't yet. Is, um, you know, the fact that, you know, even with Virgil, tactically, even against Leeds, um, against Aston Villa a million times, uh there does seem to be people trying to overload that side because I think because Salah goes up so far because Henderson hasn't really been in the team covering Trent and uh, last night it was Curtis Jones in the first half who just didn't quite have the the tactical awareness to go and help Trent out and make a sort of two versus three instead of one versus three uh, you know in favour of our, our our opposition so I don't know, Jamie. What do you, what do you think about this defensive line? You know, the flat the flatness of the back four. I think that our defence, um, really, a real big, like a very large part of our defensive strategy seems to involve, and maybe VAR has something to do with it. You know, even if it's a nonsense system at times, but it seems to involve catching people off. And maybe rather than the traditional flat line, and I'd have to go back and watch things. There's an idea you could have a defender stepping up to catch people off a bit like before a free kick is taken. It seems like a really high risk strategy, but I guess if executed, you could say, well, they can always go to the monitor and we can always demonstrate that we're right. Um, but I think if that is the case, it hasn't really paid off for us this season. It's not quite as sharp as it's been in the past. And maybe two meters behind the line is, you know, when it could be half a meter, but that's just a, an observation that's not backed up by any evidence really. Um, and yeah, it does look like teams are, taking advantage of Henderson's injury or maybe some other analysis has been done to say you'll get in behind Trent better than Robbo. Um, you know, also because it's the Robbo is on the Van Dyke side and Trent is on the, the Gomez slash Matip side. Um, but yeah, it's something I've noticed this year. And I think when Everton got in behind for Calvert-Lewin's goal, it was somewhat predictable once they'd got behind Trent that we were in trouble only because we've seen it recently. And, and once that cross was, went in, then it was you know, very obvious that Calvert-Lewin was going to get the, the leap on Robbo. But for me, the issue was how easily they got in behind down that flank. So whether it's not having Henderson there to cover or whether the defence needs a little bit of work, being a little bit more sharp on that, that offside line or that high line, I don't know. But something needs to be done about it because either Trent's being overexposed kind of unfairly or he's part of the problem. Um, but we need to we need to sort it out because we're we're shipping a lot of opportunities down that side. Yeah, I think so. And that Calvert Lewin goal, I mean that 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 annoyed me for for a number of reasons. But especially because no one was challenging him. Okay, people were talking about a great leap and all that stuff, Duncan Ferguson esque. Yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, all right, it was a good leap. But you know, if you if if you if you give him a free header in the box with no one even trying to just nudge him off target, then it's gonna makes his job a hell of a lot easier. Uh, but going back to last night in terms of stats, I mean, Fabinho again, eighty five point four percent passing accuracy, almost ten percent above the. Um, the team average which you think wow that's really good but then he's a center back so you know 85.4 percent passing accuracy is you know he's expected to have a lot more passing accuracy than any other 
you know, position on the field, but then Joe Gomez had only 73.5% passing accuracy. The difficulty in that rain, as Klopp mentioned, to pass the ball, it must have been tremendous. Uh, but defensively, this was a very much a pleasing thing, was that uh, you know Fabinho had four tackles, um, he had four interceptions, he had nine clearances, and one blocked shot, and um, he gave away one foul, and he had an 8.71 rating on who scored, and that's the highest rating for a defender that uh, I've seen, but I don't trust who scored's defensive ratings because, you know, they normally give Virgil a 6.5. So we'll ignore the rating, but just the fact that it was four tackles, four interceptions, nine clearances and one blocked shot, whereas Joe Gomez, one tackle, four interceptions, 11 clearances, because as we figured out last time, he's very good when the ball is sort of, you know, pinging around the box and you want someone to just, you know, get rid of it. Joe Gomez is very alive in those situations. Brilliant stuff from him. Um, yes, uh, but the other defender that we haven't really talked about, apart from the fact that he was a bit exposed, well, he would have been exposed had the pass been right a couple of times uh, yesterday, was Trent. Um, two tackles, one interception, three clearances for Trent. Uh, offensively, he had one key pass, uh, no dribbles, no shots. Uh, Passing-wise, he had 47 passes only a 63.8% passing accuracy, and he's got to be disappointed with that. Uh, four crosses, one accurate cross, um, and uh, yeah, as I said before, only one key pass. Well, one key pass is better than no key passes. Is infinitely better than none. One key pass, but he seemed to be, to me, it actually seemed like one of his better performances this season because he, he's he's taking time. Is it pre-season maybe, Brian? But he looks a bit better uh, you know, game by game, Trent. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I no. Um, I I he, I'm perplexed with Trent, and maybe you guys can help shine some light on this. I'm okay. I mean, I I made a note of his performance last night, and I and I noticed. I think we got away with a couple um, last night that could have easily, like that goal, that shot that hit the post. If that had gone in, you know, it could have been a different game. And I, I made a note that, you know, there was a couple of occasions where he was just lazy in the tackle. The, the play, Ajax players just uh, just ghosted past him with too much ease. And, and the reason why they, they got past him is because he just didn't put the effort in to, 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 to put, a, put a tackle in. I, I think it was in the second half around... Uh, 70 minutes, one of the IX's clear chances, they just got past Trent way too easy. And I'm wondering, I mean, it, it was better when um, when Hendo came on. I noticed Hendo was giving him an awful lot of support um, in, in, down that side and really helping him out. But, I mean, you look over, the, I, I, I'm genuinely perplexed at this. I don't know what the situation is. Why is it that Robbo has so much space uh, or create so much space and game in game out we see him absolutely tearing down the flank and yet we don't see that from uh trent on the other side i mean is it got to do with salah uh the way he's playing maybe he's not playing the same way as Mane's playing or is that is that a tactical decision you, you, do you think because 
we, Trent was our most important player on the pitch at one stage um, in the last season. Everybody talked about Trent, like he's the most important attacking element of, of our game. He would he would spearhead everything. And uh, it just seems like he's been demoted to, um, you know, a, a bit part in, in, a, in, a t- in terms of the team performance. And he just doesn't have, he's not, pink, I mean, he did a couple of cross field balls, maybe, maybe did one uh, last night. But there was a time when he was just so electric and so dangerous spraying the ball. And he just went past the man so many times. But these days, I, I just... I expect I don't expect excitement from Trent these days, and I'm just wondering what 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 might be going on there. Very interesting stuff. What do you, what do you think, Jamie? What do you make of it? What's going on with Trent? Um, I don't know if he needs a break, or he probably can't have a break, you know, given the the replacement options, or if he needs to play himself back in. Um, the way I see it is, he's a nine out of ten player, putting in sixes and sevens at the moment. So. It's better than most fullbacks in the league, but he's such a key part of our attack that even this like small drop-off makes us a lot less fluid. Um, and also, I think Salah looks to be missing out on not having that option on attacks down the right as well. Um, I don't think he's ever bombed on like Robbo. I think I've always associated what he does on the right more with build-up and more kind of intricate interplay with Salah. Um, which has been missing for a lot of this season. Uh, it's hard to know if it's a tactical issue or a performance issue, but he hasn't been as good this year. It's clear like, since the start of this season than he was last year. Um, yeah, there were a few balls he played, which may have been slightly better yesterday. And we did get him on the ball a little bit more than we had done in previous games. So it seemed like it anyway, but there's something not quite right. And, you know, a six out of ten from Trent is, you know, maybe enough in some circumstances. But when we're not creating as many clear-cut chances, um, maybe this is going to ramble into something else ultimately about our, our attack as a whole. But I feel like against Everton, one of the things that let us down, and even last night, was when we had the other team on the ropes, we weren't committing like their defenders as much. We won't t- there weren't perhaps as many take-ons um, and maybe it's because there weren't as many options on the overlap. And as a result, I don't think we're creating the kind of clear-cut chances we created last year and we're not turning that 1-0 last night into a 2-0, into a, a 2-0 or against Everton, getting a third goal to kill the game or, or getting that you know 3-2 earlier on than, than Henderson's wrongly disallowed goal. And I think part of it is the fact that Trent is missing from that attacking play on the right. It's probably not the only thing, but it's something going forward that doesn't seem to be going right right now. And I think Bobby's form is probably part of it. And it's probably something about a lack of consistency in midfield because we can't seem to keep midfielders fit, whether it's coronavirus or, or Henderson or you know crap tackles on Thiago. And it'll probably sort itself out, but I think that's been a part of what's blunted our attack in the opening games this year I think yeah it's I mean you make some great points um but I think it's I think it's coming for Trent I wouldn't rest him you said you're not sure whether you'd rest him but you need to play him into form um for me it's the latter he just looks like he's lacking a bit of rhythm I heard rumors I think it was on the Anfield rap that he had 
coronavirus in pre-season and he missed a couple of weeks in pre-season so maybe you know it'll take him a little while to get his rhythm back but yes in terms of dynamism I think that's a good point as well from Brian that maybe he could be a bit more dynamic in terms of uh, you know running with into space because he I don't know he tries to let the ball do the talking but um, with only 63% passing accuracy I think maybe sometimes yes he'd be better off running into space and playing an easier pass than playing the more difficult one um, let's move into midfield because one person that we haven't mentioned who was um, mind-blowingly good in my opinion he was absolutely terrific for someone who you know you talk about a lack of pre-season this guy he had pre-season but he's, he's only featured for about 70 minutes before yesterday when he played a full 90 James Milner old man Milner ran more than anybody else on the pitch with 12.63 kilometres, almost a kilometre more than the second best player on the pitch, who was an Ajax player. The second best in our team was Genie on 11.34 kilometres. So Milner, 12.63 kilometres. And not only was he running uh, everywhere, Jamie, I'm going to go back to you on, on, on James Milner, but um, he was also the smartest man on the pitch. He could outfox a fox what did you make of james milner he was fantastic he he was everything we needed last night um you know his fitness is legendary but last night he put in a shift that was you know another level above that and so important to control things yesterday if we'd shipped a few goals it would have been you know in the headlines even if we'd won you know liverpool can't keep a clean sheet there would have been spotlight on our defense spotlight on adrian um, but his running, his intelligence, his game intelligence, his maturity, I think was one of the key reasons Ajax were never able to build a platform to truly attack us. And by stopping them building that platform, he eased a lot of pressure on Fabinho and Gomez in you know one of their first games as a centre-back pairing, and therefore also on Adrian. And when we didn't have Henderson on the pitch from the beginning, to have someone like Milner to do such a, a great job of, you know, controlling the midfield and patrolling the midfield and snuffing out danger. And also given the weather, it was, you know, apocalyptic lashing rain, um, which makes it even harder to run that distance, you know, harder on the legs and harder on the mind and everything. Um, and having someone able to do that in those conditions away from home on a European night is invaluable. Yeah, he was magic. Defensively, James Milner had six tackles, the most in the team. He had six. Fabinho was second on four. And then the next best was Trent and Robbo on two each. Six tackles for James Milner. Five interceptions, the most in the team. One clearance. He gave away two fouls. He got a yellow card brilliantly. And he said, what? You know, like is it? he protested his innocence, but it was the clearest yellow card that anyone's ever seen. His pass accuracy was down like everybody else's as Jamie said it was really difficult to keep the ball yesterday 70% only uh, from 49 passes but one of those passes was a key pass um, he was everywhere he was dynamite his passing could have been better but he was everything that uh, we needed in in midfield James Milner um, yes Curtis Jones uh, re being replaced by Jordan Henderson and Jorginho, Vinald, and Brian, I'm going to give you a choice. You can talk about either Curtis 
or Jordan or Jorginho, Jeannie Vijnaldum? Um, maybe I'll talk about Curtis. Um, yeah, uh, not not his best performance. Um, and when I see performances like that from young players, um, I worry. I worry for them because the margins for error are so fine at this level um, for a young player. There's only so many chances that they get. And it seems, you know, since I've been watching football, which is a relatively long time because I'm pushing on in years now, um, uh, I've seen it many times over the years. Like Young players come along with a lot of hype and they get maybe one, two or three opportunities to ride the hype train and it's their job to feed it <laughs> uh, and they they feed it with with standout performances they i think the pressure is some is on young players a lot more because they almost have to be better than the senior players in the team that are already playing they have to really stamp their presence on the team in order for the fan base to say that player needs to be in the team. That young player, uh, we need to continue to take risks with him because if the risk is worth it, um, because he's he's got something. And um, for the longest time, we've all been saying Curtis Jones has something. He has something about him, and he's been putting solid sevens in terms of out of ten performances uh, in um, every time he's got a chance. And uh, and he's done some amazing things as well uh, to to really um, force people to take notice of him. But um, I personally think uh, young players have maybe four, maximum five off days. <laughs> They're allowed at this level. But 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 Brian, sorry sorry to interrupt. But what 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 was actually wrong with his performance yesterday? You know, if I if I can ask you to be. To be specific, because, um, okay, uh, you say he had a, a, an off day, but in what way could he improve? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 he just didn't seem to, um, I, I didn't notice him in the first half. He, he, he didn't really seem to um, be part of the team build-up, you know, over and over. He, he, his name wasn't being mentioned. You didn't, you, at those great periods of time in the first half that... Um, I didn't even know he was on the pitch. Uh, I, I, I was trying to figure out what position he was playing. Um, and then on top of that, if you uh, look and let me put my hand up and say, I could be talking out of my arse with this. I'm not sure if this is accurate or not because I was watching it on telly. And so who knows? But I, I think on top of that, I wonder how much cover he was offering. Um, uh, uh, sorry. Um, Trent. Trent, yeah, Trent. Um, I don't know. He just didn't seem to have a. Uh, he, I, he just didn't seem to stamp his authority on the pitch like he normally does. Like when, like when I've seen him in the past, he comes on. He's the danger man. He's the, he's, he's the guy who's making things happening. He, he, happening. He's, he's, he's breaking the lines. He's, he's taking control. He's, he's uh, almost um, uh, taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, and so he's one of those players, you, you know he's on the pitch more times than not. 
And if that's his brand of football, then great. And that's what he has to do. But I just thought, I, look, I could, I'd, be in, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts and, and uh, Jamie's thoughts on this as well. I just thought he, was, he just wasn't present. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't showing himself enough. He wasn't turning up in the right places. Um, and I don't, I mean, how, what was his stats like? Because I, I, I don't remember making a tackle. Well, it's interesting, yeah, you say, because, I mean, there are different stats. But, you know, can I just say I fundamentally disagree with you here, Brian? Excuse me. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, because, um, yes, no, defensively, he wasn't great. I mean, yeah, he, he had uh, just one interception, no tackles, no clearances. But the defensive stats are not... As you said, it was it was more his positional awareness that we, that we talked about before to give you know help to Trent. But I think actually I thought he was all right. I think Kendo coming on at halftime was it was a tactical decision because the medical team said that he had forty five minutes in his legs, and I thought Curtis was was okay. I mean he had one shot. Um, you know, it was on target, two dribbles. I know what you're saying. He could have done maybe more, but I think he was under instruction yesterday to keep the ball as much as possible. Um, he had 27 passes in, in that first half with an 88.9 passing accuracy. Most of the time he was just getting it, playing it simple, getting it, playing it simple. Um, he wasn't trying to be the um you know to dazzle because i think that he was under instructions but i thought he did okay i don't know jamie what do you reckon about curtis and that 45 minutes yeah oh and i'm completely with you on this i mean he was you know statistics aside but you know you can't ignore them completely um he were he had a great passing accuracy which you know i agree with you he was probably instructed just to recycle the ball keep possession and his passing accuracy was, you know, in the, the high 80s. I think it was, I've got it in front of me, 88.9%. Um, he had almost, I think he had the ninth most touches out of anyone in the game, um, which considering he played half the game is a pretty impressive statistic. That means he was getting on the ball, he was asking for the ball, demanding the ball, which is the kind of thing which uh, a mature player, you know, someone who you can rely on is doing, and he's only 19 years old. Um, I think that often if a player gets hooked at halftime, you're thinking, geez, what's that going to do to him, the poor kid? But here it really looked like it was a tactical decision. And he's got so much promise, but the one thing he doesn't offer, which Henderson did, is the kind of control and tempo and maturity, which is something that it comes with experience. So I don't feel like he was dragged off in shame, but it was a tactical switch. I wouldn't be surprised if it was something which had been discussed before, uh, he might be disappointed to be taken off. But also, I don't think he can really complain because you're taken off your captain. And if anything, it's an opportunity that, you know, you did your job and now, you know, Hendo's coming on and you get to, to sit and watch and learn um, while this other player who's, you know, there's a, there's a reason Hendo's captain, right? And, and it's, it, it, there's no shame in, what, in being taken off, but you get to learn and watch from Hendo. Um, I think that, yeah, in terms of defense, maybe he doesn't offer as much protection, but again, that's something he's going to have to learn. And with him and with Milner, there's so many games coming up that if last year our two midfield options were Milner and Lalana. Um, at this kind of deep level of central midfield, it's going to be Milner and Curtis. And 
both of those are kind of exciting prospects in different ways. I'm happy, always happy for Milner to get more of the ball, more game time because he brings so much to our team in terms of strength and maturity and, you know, leading by example. But also I'm much happier to have Curtis coming on than Lalana because I think his ceiling is incredibly high and he'll have learned a lot in that 45 minutes and he'll keep learning and keep growing. And I don't think that this is a game that will have taken any shine off his potential. If, if, uh, if there's a hypothetical four-game window where you can fall off the kind of the ladder, I don't think this would be one of those four games for Curtis. I think he really he did a job. He was efficient. And like so often with our midfield under Klopp, you know, it's a complaint thrown at Ginny a lot. Well, I didn't see him do anything. Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is if you're just there to recycle the ball, move it forwards and keep possession, you're being specifically asked not to be flash, not to be scruff of the next Steven Gerrard, but just away from home in Europe, make sure we control this football in bad conditions as best we can. And I think he probably did that. Yeah, lovely stuff. I love the word efficient. I think that was a very good way of, of summing up his, his performance. He was definitely efficient, and I mean that in a positive way. But there you go, Brian wasn't convinced. But I wanna I wanna I wanna move on from the IX game. We've got more things to talk about, but uh, just before I do and uh, maybe we can transition into the next topic of conversation. Um but uh Brian Diogo Jota came on and once again um, oh, I'm, I'm smiling uh, thinking about him because he looks like he's he, he's going to also be a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a player, isn't he? You look at him, you think, yeah, he reminds me of Mane when he first signed for us. You know, he's kind of, you know, fancied and unfancied at the same time. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, It always amuses me that, you know, uh, clubs, when they sell players like Jota, the fan base, you know, immediately, well, some elements of the fan base turn to his, like, his less um, uh, thrilling aspects of his game, shall we say. Um, and I, I heard a couple of Wolves fans saying, you know, he, you know, he hasn't been as prolific as he has been in previous seasons, et cetera, et cetera. But ah, he's just, he's got everything. He's got all the stuff there that you want of a player. Um, and he's the kind of player that I've been, you know, really screaming out for, for, for the longest time. Cause it's, it's almost like the, the backup goalkeeper can problem. Uh, when you have a, a front three, uh, like the front three we have, um, getting a player to sign for us as a front three player must be quite, quite the job in, in, in the recruitment aspect of things. And um, so, I mean, it, it's difficult because you can't you can't sign a player just as good as Salah or Mane or Firmino because they will want to play, and um, you know uh, you, you can't just demand a game. You can't unsettle one of those three, but you can sign a player who has the potential to get to that level um, somewhere down the line. And as we've seen, the season is you know, just started and already, you know, players are dropping like flies left, right and center. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot more players this season in a lot more different combinations. And uh, I thought the lad, the three, the three guys who came on, which is a real ballsy move for, for Klopp to, to make such early on in, in the game. I thought they were like, I think the commentators that I was listening to on Ben sports, 
um, and the commentators were being very dismissive of uh, Taki, uh, Jota, and Shaq Attack. But they, they're three very, very, very exciting players. I mean, you compare them to Mane, Salah, and Fabinho, that nobody really compares to those three in world football right now, or very few do anyway. But they're just really exciting, tenacious, small, biting your heels, have a have a trick in them kind of players. And um, yeah, Jota, since he's come, like when we signed Jota and I found out, because I think that was another one of those signings that just came out of nowhere. That was, I love those signings. You know, there's no, no lead up, no rumors, no nothing. You just wake up one morning and, oh, by the way, Jota signed. And thank you. Thank you, football gods. Um, yeah, he's brilliant. I'm really enjoying him being at the club right now. It's very exciting, isn't it? And uh, you said, you know, how can how can they compare it to, to our front three? I'm going to do just that um, because they were all three substituted off our, our usual front three on 59 minutes. On came Taki, Jota and Shakiri. Um Jota was particularly superb. But I thought Taki was brilliant as well. Statistically speaking, Sadio, Roberto and, and, and Salah, Mo, they, they had... Two shots, two shots and one shot, respectively, in 60 minutes. Okay, two for Sadio, two for Bobby and one for Mo. And then Taki, Diogo and Cherdan came on. Taki had two shots, Diogo had two shots and Cherdan Shakiri had one shot. And of course you could say, well, yes, the the Ajax were chasing the game at that point more and more. So there would be, you know, inevitably more spaces opened up. But uh, as Brian said, it was really good fun to watch. Um, so, you know, of out of Tacky, Diogo Jota and Cherdan, first of all, Jamie, you can you can choose who you want to talk about for them, uh, you know, but I, I will ask you, are you starting any of them against Sheffield United? I would say the better... The player who is the... Like, we forget sometimes how fun football is meant to be because we're terrified about... You know, or I'm terrified. Maybe I'm. Maybe my base emotion is fear. Um, terrified about the result. I'm just a ball of stress until the final whistle goes. But Diego Diogo Jota is a really, really fun footballer to watch. Um, he's he looks like he's courageous. He looks like he's he's definitely up for this challenge of becoming a you know a first choice Liverpool player, which is a huge thing to ask someone to do. Um, he's 23 years old. He looks like he's a really high ceiling. But to answer your question, I think if one of them plays, and I'm a huge, huge fan of his, but the person I'm taking out is Firmino, and if I'm taking Firmino out, then it's Taki and not Jota, um, purely because of the, the, the roles they play. I think Jota is such a fantastic alternate to, to Sadio, but I don't think I really see him playing through the middle just yet. What about what about if you if you put uh, Jota on the left, Sadio Mane in the middle, and Salah on the right? I would not do that for the. Well, I think if I was going to move any of them into centre forward, it'd be Salah, not Mane, because I I really love the the form Robertson's in, the interplay between Robertson and Mane. There we have a connection which is so great. I mean, there's that video from was it preseason last year or preseason this year? I don't know. With coronavirus, things have melted. Um, where Sadio comes back into training and, and Robertson's in the pool and Sadio just starts having a go at him and laughing and walks off. And you can see that these are guys who they are on such a level and they're probably 
two of the most fun guys in the team bouncing off each other along that wing. And I wouldn't really want to take that away from, from our attacking play. If I was going to fit someone in, if I was going to put one of the current sort of wide forwards in the middle, it would probably be Salah rather than Mane. Um, but I don't think Shakiri would get a start on the right or, or Jota for that, for that instance. So if I was putting one in, it would probably be Minamino. But I think the fact they were all pulled after an hour means they all start against Sheffield United. But if this is something we can do, you know, there's five subs available in the Champions League. If this is something we can do against Midgetland and, uh, and onwards and, and against Atlanta, if we can, but going away there is going to be very tough. Um, all the better. Give them, you know, give them an hour and then say, hey, it used to be, you know, oh, well, well they've taken off Mane, they've taken off Amino. We can breathe a little bit easier here. Um, but if now you have to put up with the energy and the, the liveliness and the, they were like a, a buzzing bees all around those defenders. I mean, you've dealt with Mane all match and now you have to deal with Jota. Um, you've dealt with Salah all match and now you're, you're looking out for, for Shakiri and Minamino's interplay. I mean, it must be exhausting. It must be just exhausting. Um, so I'm happy, I'm very happy with that as a tactic in the Champions League. But I think really for Sheffield United, we'll have the, the same top three unless Firmino gets dropped for, for form issues. Well, I'm, I, I, I am inclined to agree. I think that would be the team that Klopp picks in terms of the front three. But um, I want to go with the team that, that you would pick. Uh, so, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would go, you know, uh, stick with Adrian in goal, obviously, if Alisson isn't back, although he might be, apparently. Uh, but uh, Adrian in goal, um, and then the back four, Trent, Robbo, Fabinho and Matip. Is that right, Brian? Um, what's the latest on Matip? I, I, I'm not sure. What... He was just rested, so he, he should be fine. Okay. Um, it's a difficult one. Um, I don't know. It's a real conundrum with Joe because for me, he seems like a player that's a little bit delicate in terms of his confidence. And Matip is not, doesn't seem to be that player for me. I don't think Matip is questioning himself in any way, shape or form. Matip is just trying to get into the team again. And, uh, when he does get into the team, I think he backs himself, right? Because usually when Matip gets back into the team, he stays there for a while until, until he gets injured. Um, so I honestly don't know. I mean, I would definitely put Fabinho back there. And I, would, as I said earlier, I would just play him there um, as a defender until further notice. Um, Joe and, and Matip, that's the question. I just wanted to raise another point that um, that you touched upon about the, the game in Europe that I, I was pleasantly surprised about, the, the five substitutes. Um, I, I didn't realise that, that, that they were going with that um, this season in Europe. And I think it's brilliant because European football should be a, a spectacle. It should be a festival of football. It should be fun. And um, just having that option to um, uh, put five players on the pitch, I think it takes a lot of pressure off the top teams um, who have these arduous leagues to contend with uh, week in, week out. And so, um, yeah, and I was really, really pleasant with that. But get back to your original question. Um, I'd be tempted to play Joe again um, because I think he needs a run of games. And uh, until he... 
I would go with Joe and um, and uh, Fabinho until Joe's his form was a problem. Like, uh, you know, he's putting in six and a half, nearly seven performances, but he needs to get that up to a, to an eight. Um, and I think he deserves, you know, a few more games to kind of really um, uh, put a flag in the ground to say, no, this is this is my position. And if he can't, if he can't put a stamp of authority on the position in the next couple of games, then maybe you you give um, you give Joel a run then. Okay, and what and what's your midfield? Um, I would go with uh, Genie. I would go with Hendo, and I would go with um, uh, Tiago if he's if he's uh, if he's fresh. I don't know. I'm going to let's assume that he's not going to be back because I mean they haven't given any kind of time frame. They haven't even said what's what's really wrong with him, but apparently he's not in a good way. So unfortunately, so let's say let's say Tiago is 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 out. Sorry, sorry to break that too. No, no worries. Uh, I would go with Milner, um, uh, Hendo, and Genie um, midfield, um, and uh, I would have. Uh, uh, well, I I play I play. Uh, I'd be tempted to play Genie in this. No, I play Hendo. Uh, in the in the six and uh, Millie on the left and Genie on the right. Excellent stuff. And so okay. And the front three, Brian. You would you would go with uh, the usual front three? Maybe, but I seen uh, Manny was icing his knee um, when he came off last night. Oh, that's okay as well. That's another thing. That's some good news I can bring you. Uh, and and everyone else who's listening who might not know that uh, apparently that was just a precaution and he had because he sustained a dead leg against uh, the Ev those bastards and so he's been icing it you know on and off but it's it's just a precaution really it's just to keep uh, I don't know but he'll be he'll be he's fine basically it's just like a little niggle I had a dead leg uh, five or six years ago from a kind of sports injury. And uh, sometimes they can be really, really, really bad. You can be like walking down the street four or five days afterwards and just your leg just totally gives way <laughs> because of, well, hopefully it's not that bad. Um, OK, great. If he's if he's fit, then he has to play. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I would go with um, I would go with the usual, the usual top three um, and maybe um, have Tacky on the bench. And uh, and if uh, after 60 minutes, Bobby's not putting his mark on the game, then maybe we bring Tacky on and give him 20 minutes or sorry, 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to I was going to, you know, he's going to check your maths there. They're very good. Uh, Marvellous stuff. OK, so there you go. Um, Jamie, that's Brian's team. He's gone with Gomez. He's gone full no deal Brexit in midfield and the usual front three against Sheffield United. What about you, Jamie? Is this a fully fit Henderson, or are we are we working on a basis that Henderson has ninety minutes? Yeah, I think you can work on the basis that he's got at least sixty minutes. Almost hesitating to pick the same midfield again. Um, we've got what should be our three easiest games until December. Now we're at home against Sheffield United, who really struggled at the start of the year. Home against Midgetland, uh, pronunciation. That's how you pronounce it anyway. And then at home against West Ham. So 
if we're going to if Thiago's injured, which he is, Cater's injured or has coronavirus, which we don't know, but he's not available. Um, if we're going to have Milner and Jones playing back-to-back games, I think they do that in this spell. And if we want to protect Henderson for what follows next, which is away at Atlanta, away at Manchester City, and then home against Leicester City, then maybe we don't take the risk with Henderson. And I'm going to put that that same midfield out, which I thought did a job. Um, my only worry would be Milner's legs, because he did look like he was completely goosed at kind of 89 minutes, which is normal if you've just run a, a marathon in the, the lashing rain. But but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Henderson a breather at home for a nighttime game against Sheffield United, and then uh, let's ease him back in against against West Ham so that he's in full form for for that tricky three away game or two away games in the game against Brendan at the end of the end of November. Well, fair enough. And are you going Gomez or Matip at the back? Um, I'm going Gomez purely because of the way he grew into the game in the second half. Um, I thought he really, you know, he was a little wobbly in the first half. I think he probably is a confidence defender and he did enough then in the second half to really, you know, claim that spot for himself. And if he and if we're not going to have Van Dijk or the certainty of Van Dijk, I'm somewhat skeptical of the idea of chopping and changing centre-backs to keep Gomez and or Matip fit. So I think we're just going to have to make a decision on which one partners Fabinho and run with that until it stops working and then bring the other one in. Um, and if, you know, Gomez is holding the shirt right now, we kept a clean sheet away from home in Europe. So it's still Gomez's shirt to hold until he loses it. And I might I might base it on that for the for the for the short term future anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting question because for me Matip was absolutely superb um against Everton and I would I I just think that you need your best players on the pitch. Um so, you know, I would think Matip shades it over Gomez for me. In fact he more than shades it. I think he's a better player than Gomez at the moment. Um, so if he's fit for me, it's 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 just our best two defenders. So that would be Matip and Fabinho, and then you bring um, you bring uh, what's his name uh, 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 Joe Gomez back against uh, Midgetland. It's not Midgetland, Jamie. It's not some kind of you know politically incorrect theme park. But uh, Jamie, you had something to say? Uh, yeah, I wanted to come back with a question for you, which is given the the nature of you know how quick and fast these games are coming in, which of Gomez and Matip do you think is more reliable fitness-wise to play the bulk of the games? Um, because I agree that Matip is playing better than him and, you know, is a, probably a little bit ahead of him in terms of, you know, current ability, whether or not he's ahead of him in the ceiling that Gomez might have as a centre-back. But which one would you trust more to stay fit and to, to get a real long run in the side? Well, I would, I mean, you know, go back to the, to the, to the, the oracle of wisdom that was Harry Redknapp and the way that he treated Ledley King was that Ledley King didn't even train, uh, but he was that good a player that he could just play on the weekend because his knees were all, you know, buggered for want of a better word, um, absolutely screwed 
to one of uh, a different word um and uh, so that he just played once a week he just played the premier league games and he was brilliant in pretty much all of them um he was pretty much to- tottenham's best player for 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 a number of years and that's but that's how it worked to the to the end of his career matip's not there at the end of his career yet but yes of course in terms of fitness i have more um much more faith in joe gomez because of the nature of his injuries compared to uh, Matip, but um, I would give Joe the European games and give Joel the Premier League games because I think the Premier League is still got to be our priority. Um, one more thing that Jamie, you mentioned uh, Sheffield United have started in bad form. Um, it's true that they have, they've lost five of their last six matches. In all competitions, they had five losses in a row. Um, one of them on penalties in the League Cup, I have to say, after a draw 1-1 with Burnley. And then they drew their last match against Fulham. So you would think on paper that sounds really bad and we should go to Sheffield United. Sorry, we should host Sheffield United and swap them aside. But I disagree with that because I think they've just been really unlucky for several reasons. Um, their, their results then in the last six matches, they lost 2-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Anyone could do that. That was the first game of the season. Um, uh, Wolves are a very good, t- very good team. Then they played the League Cup. They played, you know, not the best team again struggling for fitness struggling for form Burnley 1-1 it's not a bad result then they lost on penalties that's a lottery then they went away to Aston Villa and as we know Aston Villa are the greatest team since Johan Cruyff's Ajax uh, and uh, you know they they lost only 1-0 to Aston Villa which it now at the time it seemed like a bad result and now it seems perfectly reasonable to lose to Aston Villa 1-0 and then they lost to Leeds United another very good team only 1-0 um, Arsenal beat them by just one goal 2-1 and that was uh, at the Emirates Stadium before what was probably their worst performance of the lot which is when they drew 1-1 against Fulham but now they've got Brewster you can see from these results they don't have uh, they didn't have a goal scorer um, you know they've got that big guy up front what's his name McBurney who's, who's a handful but he can't he, you know, he can't, he could he can't score, you know, he couldn't score a piece of wood with a scalpel. Um, uh, Brian, I don't think it's going to be easy. Are you worried about Brewster uh, coming back to Anfield and causing what be, would be an upset for many people, but not really a surprise for me? Um, no. I'm not. I mean, you you kind of always worry about ex players returning, you know, um, and you know the cliche is they're going to score on their return, and uh, mm, I just can't see it. I mean, I think also Sheffield United they're they're suffering from the famous second season syndrome, right? You know, um, when they came up last year, nobody gave them a chance, and then it quickly became apparent that they're quite the team. And uh, they just ride the wave the entire season, kind of reminiscent of the the season that Leicester won the league. They just kind of got the good vibes and and, and went with it and just never fell off it. And they played some good football at times, um, but we are in orders of magnitude better than them. Um, And um, 
I think, you know, considering we have three home games now uh, back to back um, uh, before we we have a couple of uh, more challenging games, uh, I think out of those three, Sheffield, even though on paper uh, it's still Sheffield United and we should be beating them, I would say that they are actually our most difficult game in the next three games. And so it, it's really crucial um, for us to put on a, a really, really powerful performance. And every game that goes by that we can keep a clean sheet or we can get three points is another game that we quieten the the the, the clatter. We take a little bit less blood out of the water, to use my disgusting analogy. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, Liverpool failing becomes less of a story. Um, and the story then starts to revert to, oh, Liverpool are still the dominating machine that they always are. They're still, they're finding solutions. It's amazing. You know, it's uh, a lot of football journalists, not to go too hard on them, but they kind of go for a low-hanging fruit when it comes to stories. And uh, if you give them a story, they'll take it. And at the moment, they're kind of, which way do you go on Liverpool? Uh, Do you go in hard? Do you question them? Um, And all it takes is, I think all it takes is a couple of uh, bad results or bad outcomes in a game to, to happen in succession for for you for you your team and that player to become the new story for for a for a cycle of maybe three to four weeks. And I think if we can use these three games coming up now to really stamp our authority um, on on the league and on Europe. Um, then the story will revert to type about Liverpool. Liverpool look as dominating as ever. Even without Virgil van Dijk, they're finding ways, and that's what champions do. I guarantee you, you'll hear, if we can put back-to-back wins now, you'll hear champions find solutions. They find a way to win. And I think that's why this game is very, very important, because if if we take our foot off the pedal in even the slightest way, then we'll get punished and uh, we need to go out there and play angry and we need to uh, more players need to turn up. It can't just be Mane. It can't just be Robbo week in, week out. We need other players to take chances and to um, ask more questions on the pitch. And, you know, we, we don't have any wiggle room to, to, to relax. We, we have a target on our backs. Everybody's hoping for us to fail. Everybody's expecting us to fail now. And so, I can't wait. I can't wait. Three home games. It's a joy. And Sheffield, I mean, I don't know what team he's going to put out because it seems like, uh, as he mentioned in his his his, uh, his post-match comments, was just unusual for Klopp because he, he very rarely talks about medical issues uh, when it comes to team selection. But for him to say that the medical department chose that team <laughs> gives you kind of a sense of what may be going on behind the scenes um, at the club. But yeah, look, I mean, we have way too much in the in the in the in the firepower uh, department to think of anything other than a win against Sheffield United. But we but it all depends on intensity. If we don't have intensity, if we don't have that press, if we if we don't turn up on the day and think, oh, we're at home, we haven't lost at home for a long time and it's only Sheffield United, then they'll screw us. Um, so, you know, the next game is, is the most important game of the season and, and it kind of always is when you're the champion. Well, yes, um, it's going to be, it's going to be, I don't know, fascinating to watch, isn't it? Um, you know, we played five 
uh, in the Premier League. One three drawn, one lost, one of course. We're on ten points. It's going to be um, amazing. I can't wait uh, for this weekend. Uh, Cop on will be back. Maybe um, you know not at the weekend, but maybe sometime next week or. If not, it'll be after the next match, uh, next league match against West Ham. Um, so I want, but I want to thank you very, very much, Jamie and Brian, uh, for for you know previewing that and talking about Ajax. You know, Liverpool um, surely have got one hand on the Champions League trophy already. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, guys.